Chapter Fifteen of Characters of Shakespeare's Plays by William Hazlitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nemo. Richard the Second. Richard the Second is a play little known compared with Richard the Third, which last is a play that every unfledged candidate for theatrical fame chooses to strut and fret his hour upon the stage in yet we confess that we prefer the nature and feeling of the one to the noise and bustle of the other at least as we are so often forced to see it acted in richard the second the weakness of the king leaves us leisure to take a greater interest in the misfortunes of the man after the first act in which the arbitrariness of his behaviour only proves his want of resolution we see him staggering under the unlooked-for blows of fortune bewailing his loss of kingly power not preventing it sinking under the aspiring genius of bolingbroke his authority trampled on his hopes failing him and his pride crushed and broken down under insults and injuries which his own misconduct had provoked but which he has not courage or manliness to resent the change of tone and behaviour in the two competitors for the throne according to their change of fortune from the capricious sentence of banishment passed by richard upon bolingbroke the suppliant offers and modest pretensions of the latter on his return to the high and haughty tone with which he accepts richard's resignation of the crown after the loss of all his power the use which he makes of the deposed king to grace his triumphal progress through the streets of london and the final intimation of his wish for his death which immediately finds a servile executioner is marked throughout with complete effect and without the slightest appearance of effort the steps by which bolingbroke mounts the throne are those by which richard sinks into the grave we feel neither respect nor love for the deposed monarch for he is as wanting in energy as in principle but we pity him for he pities himself his heart is by no means hardened against himself but bleeds afresh at every new stroke of mischance and his sensibility absorbed in his own person and unused to misfortune is not only tenderly alive to its own sufferings but without the fortitude to bear them he is however human in his distresses for to feel pain and sorrow weakness disappointment remorse and anguish is the lot of humanity and we sympathize with him accordingly the sufferings of the man make us forget that he ever was a king the right assumed by sovereign power to trifle at its will with the happiness of others as a matter of course or to remit its exercise as a matter of favor is strikingly shown in the sentence of banishment so unjustly pronounced on bolingbroke and mowbray and in what bolingbroke says when four years of his banishment are taken off with his little reason how long a time lies in one little word four lagging winters and four wanton springs end in a word such is the breath of kings a more affecting image of the loneliness of a state of exile can hardly be given than by what bolingbroke afterwards observes of his having 
sighed his english breath in foreign clouds or then that conveyed in mowbray's complaint at being banished for life the language i have learned these forty years my native english now i must forego and now my tongue's use is to me no more than an unstringed viol or a harp or like a cunning instrument cased up or being open put into his hands that knows no touch to tune the harmony i am too old to fawn upon a nurse too far in years to be a pupil now how very beautiful is all this and at the same time how very english too richard the second may be considered as the first of that series of english historical plays in which is hung armour of the invincible knights of old in which their hearts seem to strike against their coats of mail where their blood tingles for the fight and words are but the harbingers of blows of this state of accomplished barbarism the appeal of bolingbroke and mowbray is an admirable specimen another of these keen encounters of their wits which serve to wet the talker's swords is where almerl answers in the presence of bolingbroke to the charge which bagot brings against him of being an accessory in gloucester's death fitzwater if that thy valour stand on sympathies there is my gage almerl engaged to thine by that fair sun that shows me where thou stand'st i hear thee say and vauntingly thou speakest it that thou wert cause of noble gloucester's death if thou deniest it twenty times thou liest and i will turn thy falsehood to thy heart where it was forged with my rapier's point almerl thou darest not coward live to see the day fitzwater now by my soul i would it were this hour almerl fitzwater thou art damned to hell for this percy almerl thou liest his honour is as true in this appeal as thou art all unjust and that thou art so there i throw my gage to prove it on thee to the extremest point of mortal breathing seize it if thou darest almerl and if i do not may my hands rot off and never brandish more revengeful steel over the glittering helmet of my foe who sets me out by heaven i'll throw it all i have a thousand spirits in my breast to answer twenty thousand such as you surrey my lord fitzwater i remember well the very time all merrill and you did talk fitzwater my lord tis true you were in presence then and you can witness with me this is true surrey as false by heaven as heaven itself is true fitzwater surrey thou liest surrey dishonourable boy that lie shall lie so heavy on my sword that it shall render vengeance and revenge till thou the lie-giver and that lie rest in earth as quiet as thy father's skull in proof whereof 
there is mine honour's pawn engage it to the trial if thou darest fitzwater how fondly dost thou spur a forward horse if i dare eat or drink or breathe or live i dare meet surrey in a wilderness and spit upon him whilst i say he lies and lies and lies there is my bond of faith to tie thee to thy strong correction as i do hope to thrive in this new world all murrow is guilty of my true appeal the truth is that there is neither truth nor honour in all these noble persons they answer words with words as they do blows with blows in mere self-defence nor have they any principle whatever but that of courage in maintaining any wrong they dare commit or any falsehood which they find it useful to assert how different were these noble knights and barons bold from their more refined descendants in the present day who instead of deciding questions of right by brute force refer everything to convenience fashion and good breeding in point of any abstract love of truth or justice they are just the same now that they were then the characters of old john of gaunt and his brother york uncles to the king the one stern and foreboding the other honest good-natured doing all for the best and therefore doing nothing are well kept up the speech of the former in praise of england is one of the most eloquent that ever was penned we should perhaps hardly be disposed to feed the pampered egotism of our countrymen by quoting this description were it not that the conclusion of it which looks prophetic may qualify any improper degree of exultation this royal throne of kings this sceptred isle this earth of majesty this seat of mars this other eden demi-paradise this fortress built by nature for herself against infection and the hand of war this happy breed of men this little world this precious stone set in the silver sea which serves it in the office of a wall or as a moat defensive to a house against the envy of less happy lands this nurse this teeming womb of royal kings feared for their breed and famous for their birth renowned for their deeds as far from home for christian service and true chivalry as in the sepulchre and stubborn jewry of the world's ransom blessed mary's son this land of such dear souls this dear dear land dear for her reputation through the world is now leased out i die pronouncing it like to a tenement or pelting farm england bound in with the triumphant sea whose rocky shore beats back the envious surge of watery neptune is bound in with shame with inky blots and rotten parchment bonds that england that was wont to conquer others hath made a shameful conquest of itself the character of bolingbroke afterwards henry the fourth is drawn with a masterly hand patient for occasion and then steadily availing himself of it seeing his advantage afar off but only seizing on it when he has it within his reach humble crafty bold and aspiring 
encroaching by regular but slow degrees building power on opinion and cementing opinion by power his disposition is first unfolded by richard himself who however is too self-willed and secure to make a proper use of his knowledge ourself in bushy bagatir and green observed his courtship of the common people how he did seem to dive into their hearts with humble and familiar courtesy what reverence he did throw away on slaves wooing poor craftsmen with a craft of smiles and patient underbearing of his fortune as twere to banish their affections with him off goes his bonnet to an oyster wench a brace of draymen bid god speed him well and had the tribute of his supple knee with thanks my countrymen my loving friends as were our england in reversion his and he our subjects next degree in hope afterwards he gives his own character to percy in these words i thank thee gentle percy and be sure i count myself in nothing else so happy as in a soul remembering my good friends and as my fortune ripens with thy love it shall be still thy true love's recompense we know how he afterwards kept his promise his bold assertion of his own rights his pretended submission to the king and the ascendancy which he tactically assumes over him without openly claiming it as soon as he has him in his power are characteristic traits of this ambitious and politic usurper but the part of richard himself gives the chief interest to the play his folly his vices his misfortunes his reluctance to part with a crown his fear to keep it his weak and womanish regrets his starting tears his fits of hectic passion his smothered majesty pass in succession before us and make a picture as natural as it is affecting among the most striking touches of pathos are his wish oh that i were a mockery king of snow to melt away before the sun of bolingbroke and the incident of the poor groom who comes to visit him in prison and tells him how it yearned his heart that bolingbroke upon his coronation day rode on the rhone barbary we shall have occasion to return hereafter to the character of richard the second in speaking of henry the sixth there is only one passage more the description of his entrance into london with bolingbroke which we should like to quote here if it had not been so used and worn out so thumbed and got by rote so praised and painted but its beauty surmounts all these considerations duchess my lord you told me you would tell the rest when weeping made you break the story off of our two cousins coming into london york where did i leave duchess at that sad stop my lord where rude misgoverned hands from window-tops threw dust and rubbish on king richard's head york then as i said the duke great bolingbroke mounted upon a hot and fiery steed which his aspiring rider seemed to know with slow but stately pace kept on his course while all tongues cried god save thee bolingbroke 
you would have thought the very window spake so many greedy looks of young and old through casements darted their desiring eyes upon his visage and that all the walls with painted imagery had said at once jesus preserve thee welcome bolingbroke whilst he from one side to the other turning bareheaded lower than his proud steed's neck bespake them thus i thank you countrymen and thus still doing thus he passed along duchess alas poor richard where rides he the while york as in a theatre the eyes of men after a well-graced actor leaves the stage are idly bent on him that enters next thinking his prattle to be tedious even so or with much contempt men's eyes did scowl on richard no man cried god save him no joyful tongue gave him his welcome home but dust was thrown upon his sacred head which with such gentle sorrow he shook off his face still combating with tears and smiles the badges of his grief and patience that had not god for some strong purpose steeled the hearts of men they must perforce have melted and barbarism itself have pitied him end of richard the second